JT Ellison, and I am here guest hosting Authors on the Air, so I can talk to my dear friend, the brilliant New York Times, USA Today, everything, 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 every list bestseller, Allison Brennan. Hi, Allison. Hello. Hello. It is always good to chat with you. Oh my gosh, it so is. We don't get to do it often enough. And I was so excited when Pam suggested that we have a conversation about your new book, Seven Girls Gone. Yes, I, I, I love the series. It's so much fun to write. And I always love talking about <laughs> I always love chatting about my books. I, I just like chatting about writing with you because you, <laughs> it, what number is this now? I, I probably have to count them up. I think it's 45. 45. Um, You're 20 some... books ahead of me. My 25th just came out. You are 20 books ahead of me. I would like to know how that happened (laughs) because we came out, we started around the same time. You were a year or so before me. Yeah. You came out in 2006. Mine was 2007. So clearly I've been slacking. Uh, No, no. I I think I got really lucky at the beginning of my career. My first publisher published three books a year. And um, I actually sold my book two years before the first book came out. So I had like a lot of time to write a bunch of books that then they published three year three out you know as back-to-back trilogies so I kind of jumped ahead a little bit that um because of that process but I'm doing I'm writing two well this year I have three books out uh don't open the door in January seven girls gone that's out this month in April and then I have a standalone that comes out in August that took five years to write so that because I was writing it in between books so this year I happen to have three, um, but next year I only have two scheduled. So, you know, it just, it's just a matter of, you know, when they can fit them in and how much time I have. Now that my kids are all grown, I have a, a little bit more time, but I find that I'm writing slower. <laughs> well, speaking of kids, you, you've had some really big news recently. Do you want to share this, this life altering <laughs> news? Uh, yes, I am going to be a grandma, and I cannot believe it. Um, Katie is due in July, and they did peak, and they're having a boy, and so she is very excited. The only thing she's not happy about is she's on light duty. She's a cop, so she's at Phoenix. She's Phoenix PD officer, and she is on light duty because basically her vest can't fit. She can't <laughs> be out in patrol, so she, um, yeah. So she's not 100% happy, but she's been doing a bunch of helping the detectives close cases that, you know, I guess they'd be cold cases, but they're, you know, things that they have to like, you know, do all this other stuff. You need a cop to do the interviews, but she could do them all on the phone. So she's been doing a lot of that, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm very excited. I'm giving up my office. Um, So I have an office. uh, It has a door, but it's kind of a, it's a kind of in a weird position in the house. I'm going to move my office into the living room, which is actually a little bigger. Um, and then so that the baby could have the office that has a door. So when I'm, because I'm, I am going to be the grandma who babysits so that she doesn't have to put the baby in daycare between, yeah, between Dan and me, we'll be able to, uh, watch the baby when she and her husband have to work. So. Was she, uh, was she, this is so totally off topic of the book, but we're going to circle back. 
did she become a cop because of your police procedural background and expertise and that all the things, you know, she grew up with a mom who was writing these kinds of stories. Did that inspire her to be a cop? I don't think so, no. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, I don't think she's actually read one of my books, although really? I used her all the time um, for, she was always, so Katie was, um, when she was in high school, um, she had to do this project, you know, it's like, how do you, um, you know, how do you want your obituary to be? You know, when you, when you die, what would, would your obituary say? And her best friend said, um, oh, Caitlin, you know, Caitlin Close uh, died in her sleep at the age of 99. And Katie goes, uh, no, I am going to die saving somebody's life. I mean, she always, from the time she was at a very young age, always wanted to do something to help people. So she was really close to enlisting in the military and then decided not to do that. Um, she got involved with CrossFit. She went through the fire academy, almost became a firefighter. Um, and then got recruited into the police department by a female detective who worked out at her gym um, and said that you're exactly who we want. And so she went through the process and it took about a year before she got into the academy. But she's now been, um, she's been on the streets for three years now. And uh, she says she couldn't imagine herself doing anything else. That's incredible. That is incredible. And I remember when she was just a little thing. It's just, I, I oh my gosh, it's, it's amazing. You've got all these grown kids now. It blows my mind. <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so Seven Girls Gone. I absolutely yes. love this title. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the book is about? So uh, Seven Girls Gone um, is the fourth book in my Quinn Acosta series. And I've always... I try to write this series because there's one book out a year so that you don't necessarily have to read all the books. Each one is a standalone mystery thriller, um, but it does focus on the same team of FBI agents. It's uh, the mobile response team. I based it very loosely on the evidence response team that the FBI has. You're probably familiar with that. Basically every major FBI office has an evidence response team where they can go out and um, work complex cases that maybe local law enforcement can't handle. I learned about it um, when I lived in Sacramento because the evidence response team for the FBI investigated the Yosemite murders with Carrie okay. Stainer. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, this is fascinating because you have agents that have a specialties in different forms of forensic um, work. And so that kind of was in the back of my mind. And I thought, well, what if I just had a special team that went out to rural areas around the country, you know? Um, so I was playing around with that. And that's how I came up with the Quinn and Costa series. So Matt Costa is the head of the team. Um, Kara Quinn is an LAPD detective who can't go back to the job uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, how, so is now basically liaisoning with the FBI team. And Seven Girls Gone takes place in the bayou. One of the my best things about the series is that I get to go to different communities. So I get to do a lot of research. Like the book before this was set in the San Juan Islands. And um, unfortunately I couldn't visit because it was all, I wrote it during 2020, but I couldn't visit the San Juan Islands, but I did a lot of research. And I think I nailed it. So people have emailed me and said, oh my God, you must have been there because I remember this. And I said, no, actually, they just have a really good website. <laughs> um, 
so this one, the Bayou, fortunately, I have been to an area very similar to what I wrote about. And then obviously our mutual friend, Tony Cosby, yep. um, helped me with a lot of the details. Um, you know, it's like, like, well, do these plants grow at the river or does this happen? Or they're really alligators? You know, I get to, you know, I, I definitely tapped into her um, expertise. Uh, so the one of the best things about the Bayou is it's so the setting itself is so mysterious. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's one of the things that Tony told me a long time ago. She goes, yeah, basically um, people in the bayou in the deep south think that if you live above the Mesa, uh, if you live above I-10, you're actually a Yankee. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like, forget the Mason-Dixon line. It's like, if you're, if you're north of I-10, you're a Yankee. So it's, it's a completely different way of life. It's very slow paced. Mm -hmm. And I got to use that because here we have, you know, big, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. investigators coming in trying to like solve these murders. And it's like people don't move fast in the South. My, my family's from Alabama and we used to go there and everything slows down. Mm -hmm. So it's like they had to learn, you know, you you're working on a different time timetable here. But um, one of the things about this book is I was fascinated by a real life cold case in Louisiana. Um, about uh, eight prostitutes who were murdered. And it's called the Jeff Davis Eight. And I've just been fascinated with it. It's never been solved. And I've read everything on it. I've listened to podcasts about it. I think I know what happened. And I don't think they'll ever be able to prove it. So I decided to write a book based on what I think might have happened. And um, so this is kind of my solving the case in a way. Now it's obviously very different. The only thing that's the same is that they were murdered prostitutes, but I try to at least give a little bit of um, attention to what I think was obviously a very tragic true crime case. Um, and of course, because I do write mysteries, I have to solve the crime. You know, I'm not gonna leave it up in the air. That's what I was wondering. I was going to ask you if this had anything to do with that case, because it's a fascinating case. I, I too, have been rather fascinated by it for years. It's how in our day and age can things not be solved? The DNA that we have, the the evidence processing, how quickly things move, you know, cover up, well, <coughs> cover up. <coughs> you know, Louisiana is a very interesting state. And it's their laws are a little bit different than a lot of other states and also the way the jurisdictions work. You're not going to get people coming into a small town and just taking over an investigation. It just doesn't happen. And um, the other one of the things I had read, and it wasn't related to the Jeff Davis 8 case, but it was related to another case was about the contamination of evidence because of the climate. Whenever you're dealing with humid climates or where there's a lot of moisture, um, you have to take special care with um, when you gather evidence mm -hmm. and when you preserve it. Otherwise, I mean, it's completely contaminated. You have the issues of mold. You have issues, you know, you won't be able to get DNA, um, which, and I can understand it too. I mean, you want, because obviously there have been innocent people sent to prison. You want to make sure that that evidence is 100% clean and accurate. Because if it is all contaminated, you don't want to send an innocent person to prison. So it's kind of, I, I use that um, because I know it is of special concern in any of the humid climates um, in how you process the evidence. So I'm sure a lot of what happened in the real life case 
Um, some of it was intentional. Some of it, evidence just went missing. You know, oh, well, we don't have that. I don't know why you think we would have it. We, well, I don't know, the box got lost. And some of it was legitimately contaminated, you know, just because of the climate that they were in. Um, but you're right. I It amazes me that we can't solve that case. But there's a lot. Even even DNA isn't always perfect. No, you know? no, of course not. Of course not. So, That's... But it, anyway, so I had a lot of fun with this book, even though it was a tragic case, because I could take my characters and put them in a completely new setting and build a world around them um, a little slower paced because it is the South and everything is a little slower paced. I even named um, the detective, the last good cop in um, St. Augustine, which is the town. Uh -huh. the, it's a fictional town, by the way. I, I usually use real places. I actually created a fictional town for this book. So St. Augustine, he's the last good cop in St. Augustine. His grandma's named Tony after, of course, Tony. Um, and she wants to feed everybody. I know, she's and, a fabulous, fabulous cook. She's making, you know, I want that gumbo recipe. I do too. <laughs> I do too. I, every time so I go good. to Louisiana, I say I have to try every place that serves gumbo to find the best one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Tony. So Bo is her grandson and he's the, the detective who's friends with Michael Harris, who is one of the, the mobile response unit people. And so that's how he get they get pulled into this case. And they basically have to seduce the local authorities to let them in. And I think they do such a it's such a fun job. So you've got you've got a massive cast. Yeah, right? I have it's, a problem with that. Well, I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of moving parts in a police procedural and you have to have I mean, when you have a cast of characters, that's a team immediately, you have six or seven people. And then you've got the, all the police that they're dealing with, and then all the FBI, and then you've got all these victims. I mean, it's it's a huge cast. I am curious, as a writer, how do you, what's your method for keeping the story spinning properly without it dragging? Because it never drags. And I never got confused as to who was who, which is well, brilliant. I think, so you know, I don't plot. And um, I have a so I, I hate plotting. I don't want to know what happens. I did not, I did not know. I, I only knew who killed one of the victims uh -huh. in the book. I didn't know if he killed all of them or if there's somebody else. I mean, I wasn't quite sure how the whole thing was going to come out, but what I did is I essentially have like a murder board. I have a notebook where I like, for example, there's one scene where Kara, um, my main character, she goes in and she takes all the victims and plots out where they um, where they were found, how they were killed. And so what I did is actually recreated that next to me so that I could keep all their names, when they died, when their bodies were found, who was the last person to see them alive. And then that was next to me so that if I ever forgot, then I could just refer back to my little timeline here that had all the victims and everything we knew about the murders. Um, because I think when, you know, if I was a cop, that's what probably what I would do. Now, mine was a lot more <laughs> messy than I would hope that if I were <laughs> a victim that, you know, <laughs> that they would handle. But um, that's essentially how I was able to keep everything straight so that then if I ever needed to refer back to them, I said, okay, yeah, that was the third victim or that was the fourth victim. That's the person who last saw them alive. This is why that person is important. I love so it. So that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't plot, but I do kind of keep notes as I'm going along. Mm -hmm. 
just to keep it all straight. And then when I do my revisions, I'll actually keep a, a separate set of notes because I changed so much that I was saying, oh, whoops, wait a minute, I have to do this. And <laughs> Yeah. The, do you feel like your style of writing has changed 45 books in? <clears throat> I, I think I have become a better writer, but I think one of the things, I used to write a lot faster than I mm -hmm. write now. Um, I used to write what was what we called a sloppy copy, where you just basically just throw everything out there and then you go back and edit and all that stuff. Um, I can't do that anymore. I mean, I can write a messy copy, but if I if the plot starts to derail, I know it immediately and I have to stop. That's taking me longer to write a book. So I can write 5,000 words a day, but it's not as easy to do as it used to be. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense because I, I sense now when the plot isn't working or when the story isn't working. And I know that I don't want to go back and rewrite the entire book because I know that's what I'll have to do. So I'll stop and I'll rework the opening. And the thing about it is almost always, even though like for the last 10 books, I think the book is done and I think it's good. It's the beginning that needs the most work. And it's the beginning that I have written and rewritten like 10, 15 times, but it's still the weakest part of the story. And then usually after about the first hundred pages, it just flows. And yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if I've become better or worse. I think um, sometimes it's hard because you always want to come up with a better story. You want to keep your readers so that you're not rehashing the same kinds of stories. Um, you know, I've only had one serial killer book in this series. It was the first book in the series, uh, The Third to Die, which was a serial killer. And I, I love serial killer books. I write several of them. But in a, um, this is the fifth or the fourth book in the series. In the fifth book isn't a serial killer either. Um, I only did one because I'm trying to come up with different things and so that my readers don't get bored. It's there. And by the way, it does get harder. Absolutely. And it is always the beginning. It takes me like three, four months to get that first hundred thousand, uh, first hundred pages solid. And then the rest of it just bleh. You know, it just happened. <laughs> it's crazy. It is. It's just incredible. I, I actually feel better that you work the same way because I don't plot either. I don't. I, don't, <laughs> I do forty scenes. I have an, a little bit of an idea. So, is there a story that you've always wanted to write and you haven't written yet? You know, I I have a lot of ideas. I don't know that I'd say I, something that I want to write that I haven't written I think it's more of when I'm ready to write like I had this idea my agent would probably kill me I had an <laughs> idea of a um I love the gold rush era being from northern California I love everything about the gold rush I love westerns I like because I think women in the west could be tough women whereas yeah, women on sure. the east coast are you know they're they're ladies, they wear dresses and petticoats, but women that know how to, you know, shoot guns and wrangle horses and do all that fun stuff. That's what I would want to write about. So I actually have a couple ideas, but I, that would be historical. That's completely out of what I do. I don't write historical fiction or it would be obviously mystery thrillers. Um, but that's probably the only thing 
that I don't know that I would ever write that I would probably want to write someday. Um, but I, you know, I, I think once I get an idea and if I churn it around enough, I'll know whether it's going to work or not. If I, you know, I play around with it in my head and I'll figure out, hmm, I think this would make a good story. Um, the fifth Quinn and Costa book, which I recently turned into my editor, is one of those books that actually was really hard to write because I wanted to tackle a couple of things and I was afraid. I don't write political stuff at all, but this kind of touches on it because it deals with the homeless crisis in California and some of the laws that really impact the ability to help people. We, we can't help them because of these laws on the books. And I kind of touched on that. And I'm, I don't think it's political, but I'm afraid some people might think it is. But I decided, you know what, I really want to talk about this because it's something that I care about. And um, so that set up the, sets up the whole mystery. Um, I love it. We'll see. We'll see how well my editor likes it. I haven't gotten it back yet. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure it will be a hit. But before that one comes out, Seven Girls Gone. And honestly, I think it's one of your best because it is so incredibly complicated. There are so many layers and the people in it are so relatable. And I felt so intimately connected to so many of the people in this Bayou town, St. Augustine. I think you've done an amazing job. Where can people, they already know probably, but alisonbrona.com, <laughs> but what else, anywhere else that they can find you and anything else you want to leave well, us Well, I, I check in, I answer all my emails. I check into Facebook every day, facebook.com slash Brennan. You know, I'll check there for messages and whatever. Um, but I just, you know, I want to thank my readers because I'm doing what I love to do. And it's because they're reading my books. And I really, really, really appreciate them for still reading my books and helping me do what I love. Oh my God. What a perfect, perfect place to stop. Allison, thank you so much. I'm JT Ellison. This has been Authors on the Air. Mm -hmm.